This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an NDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a delight to have you as part of our audience. Today's interview is one that I did with BCC Council Member Andy Farmer. Andy has served as a pastor and elder at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania for over 30 years. He's also the author of multiple books and does a lot of biblical counseling training as well as biblical counseling. I was really excited to talk to Andy about his life, his testimony, hear how the Lord saved him, brought him to faith, but also called him to ministry, and how he got connected with biblical counseling. Uh, It was a really encouraging talk, and I hope that it encourages you. It causes you to reflect on your own life and what God has done and is doing through you, and that you worship Him and praise Him and thank Him for the many opportunities He brings your way to be a minister of His Word. Uh, We are in the middle of our year-end campaign, the One Person a Week campaign, uh, where we're asking all friends of the BCC to invite one person a week to support the ministry of the BCC. Behind the scenes, probably the most important thing that the Biblical Counseling Coalition does is we exist to foster unity in biblical counseling by creating relationships among biblical counseling leaders, uh, as well as now biblical counselors geographically co-located near one another. Uh, And Andy is one representative of that group that BCC Council is really the heart and the heartbeat behind what we do, where we are bringing together leaders from all across the world, representing a variety of different biblical counseling ministries, schools, and churches, and having discussions, conversations, building relationships, sharpening one another, encouraging one another, uh, and growing, hopefully, closer to one another in Christ and building unity and establishing uh, and showing the world how the church can be unified around Christ, his word, and the ministry that we have been called to. So, be sure to tell somebody as you're talking to them about the BCC, about the important work that we do in establishing and fostering unity in the biblical counseling movement around the world. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to invite one person person this week to support the ministry of the BCC. Well, Andy Farmer, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, my name's Andy Farmer. I'm a pastor in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, Covenant Fellowship Church. Um, 
been a pastor there for 30 years, a member for uh, almost 40 years, coming up on 40 years. So this, that's my home church. So my family grew up, uh, uh, I have four kids, been married for 40 years. So my wife and I were married, and then six months later we came to the church and have been there ever all since. Right. So my kids have all been raised there. I have uh, four kids, um, all married, uh, and uh, 13 grandkids with one on the way. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. We, we should probably do a whole separate podcast just on the value of staying put uh, yeah. <laughs> in one place. I highly endorse it if you can. It's yeah. not always possible. I love, I, love, I love the idea that I have the opportunity. The church was a church plant when I came. When I came essentially to the, to, the, to the second week of the second service the church had. Wow. And so, uh, so I was there from the very beginning. And so I look forward to someday. We've already been through one leadership transition, generational transition. So I look forward to potentially being at least in the audience somewhere for, the, for a second one. And uh, to be able to be part of a church plant and go through two, um, two generational uh, transitions would be, I think, a great way to, 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 to sum up my life. No, that's a, yeah, that's a cool, that's a unique opportunity. Like you said, not a lot of people that works out that way for, but uh, what a cool thing when it does. So, yeah. uh, well, so, so I don't get sidetracked by that, that discussion. Tell us a mm-hmm. little bit about Andy growing up. Where did you grow up? What was your family like in in your childhood like yeah, yeah uh, i grew up uh in the uh, suburbs of atlanta georgia um and uh my my family's all southern my dad was a truck driver uh and so we uh we uh, just kind of grew up um you know a working class family uh i went to high school played soccer in high school we i grew up in uh, my family was lutheran and uh, involved in the church, but I think once I kind of got to an age where uh, they couldn't get, they couldn't force me to go out, I kind of let it all go and and kind of. I certainly wasn't a follower of Christ at that point. And uh, in in high school, played soccer, you know, uh, and um, uh, just no no semblance of Christianity in my life at all. Uh, a lot of partying, a lot of uh, a lot of. Um, Things I'm not proud of, but uh, but I uh, I was able to get uh, go play soccer in college. So I played soccer in um, yeah, at a small school in North Carolina. Actually, I'm going to be driving past the school, stopping in and looking at it uh, tomorrow. But uh, so yeah, so my family is it, you know it was a good family. My 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 folks were were wonderful parents. My dad's passed away about 12 years ago. My mom's still alive. Um, I have a good relationship with my brother and sister. Um, so, so, but, uh, they, my brother came to Christ, um, after I did, uh, was a missionary for a number of years. Uh, so the Lord has, has taken root in my family, but Mm. we, I wouldn't say we, we grew up in a Christian environment. It was a church going environment. So, yeah, church going, maybe kind of cultural Christianity being out there and just outside Atlanta. But it's interesting because we weren't Baptists and we weren't Presbyterian. (laughs) We were we were considered odd, you know. We were we were more like you know softcore Catholic huh. to, to to the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, there's a lot of Baptist uh, emphasis in in the South. So, oh, that's <laughs> that's good. So you're you're telling us a little bit about getting to college and playing soccer mm-hmm. there. What was the name of the school? 
called a, called St. Andrews Presbyterian College, now university. All right. Did um, you go to study or just play soccer? <laughs> well, I went to play soccer. Um, I ended up studying. You know, I, I actually, you know, I, 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 uh, I embraced the, the scholastic part of it. Um, I ended up uh, majoring essentially in Marxism. Hmm. That was my the focus of my study. I was a political science major, but I it was a the, those Presbyterian in name. Uh, it was very liberal in uh, a lot of its departments, and so we had a lot of sort of '60s radicals. This is back '77 to '81. Um, 60s radicals in those departments, and so uh, so I kind of came under their influence and embraced Marxism, and kind of was living that world uh, throughout college. So, so they weren't um, just trying to teach you about Marxism; they were trying to indoctrinate you into it. Was, yeah, I was very indoctrinated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was, I was full on. So you when when did when did you become a believer in Christ? How did you come to come to faith in be a part of the family yeah, of God. That's a, that's a great question. I there's a long story attached to it, um, but the, the 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 shorter version is um, I began to I, I, I had some friends who were uh, very close to me, but soccer teammates who um, who ended up committing a, a, a series of serious uh, violent crimes. Mm. And um, and ended up going to prison for ten to twenty years. Um, being close to them, I, I had Marxism sort of teaches you that the that the problems are all out there; they're mm-hmm. not in in your soul. But just kind of walking through that experience, this all happened while we were on campus, and um, and uh, watching this it play out with them, I uh, I began to realize that number one. Um, my life was no different than theirs. Mm. They made a series of choices given opportunities, and I had made other choices but hadn't experienced the consequences of their choices but was was suddenly hit by the fact that the problem was not out there. I had, there, was a, there was something in me and in everyone, and then I started seeing it everywhere, in my own soul and other people that that is seriously uh, uh, malformed, seriously... Um, at odds with the sense of goodness. And so I spent about a year, actually, I tell people I discovered the doctrine of sin, but had no belief in God. I was Mm. an atheist with a doctrine of sin, which is a very depressing place to be. So I spent a year, my junior and my senior year, um, really just kind of on 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 a downward spiral. But I, in my senior year, I came across some, a small group of Christians, legitimate Christians on my campus. And I didn't like them. I thought they were weird. Um, but I felt like whatever's wrong in me, there's something about them that it seems like that's being dealt with. Mm. And so I sort of became attracted to them, began hang out, hanging out with them a bit, um, looked around, saw the life I was living was going nowhere. Um, you know, externally it was fine. I was going to graduate at a, you know, in a, a, with a worthless degree, you can't do anything <laughs> with a worthless degree. Um, but go to, go to law school, which I was going to do. So, uh, February of, uh, 1981, I was talking to, a one of the, one of the girls there, um, who was in the Christian group. Um, and 
And I just asked her because I thought, you know, all Americans are Christians. You know, I'm a Christian, right? She said, no, you're not. Mm. I said, why not? And so she kind of laid out, you know, what she would describe because she's not my wife, a a very poor uh, gospel, but something that grabbed my heart. And um, it really is one of those things, February 2nd, uh, I guess, yeah, February 2nd, 1981, about 3.45 a.m., mm. I gave my life to Christ and uh, haven't looked back since. Wow, that's so. incredible. It's it's fascinating, too, that you were able to, you said, the way you put it, that you saw what was in you, in them, that it was being dealt with. Not that they didn't have yeah. it, but that it was being dealt with. Yeah. You yeah. really, do you think you saw it that clearly back then? Yeah, well, I did. I couldn't. I couldn't articulate what I was seeing, but it was more like, I think they're real. They're real mm. people. We're just fakers. We're we're just kind of putting on different identities to fit the world we live in, and they weren't. They were just who they were. They were. They were. If they were going to be weird. They're going to be truly weird. Um, but there was a genuineness about them, a, a humility, a uh, a graciousness, uh, a joy, a you know, gratefulness, those fruits of the spirit were evident and weren't evident in anybody else I knew. And, um, you know, I was quick to use people, quick to take advantage of opportunities to, to, to better myself at the expense of other people. They weren't like that. They were, they were self-giving. And so that, that was compelling to me. Mm. And, uh, but interesting, you know, then I, so, so I basically became a Christian with about two months left in college, uh, and therefore was totally had no idea what my life was going to be like. And because uh, I just was disoriented. And so went back home. I had kind of trashed my relationship with my parents um, through through sin. So I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go back and live with them, rebuild that relationship. I, uh, I went back to Atlanta, um, lived with them. I got involved in a church, um, kind of a country church, sort of, you know, something very... Uh, different than what I had, uh, had been living, um, but was discipled there, uh, and grew in fellowship. And, and so God really used about two years of my life and to, to shape me. And the, the girl who had witnessed to me, we began to feel like we may have a relationship. She, she lived in Pennsylvania and, um, according to much detail for you, but she lived in Pennsylvania and, uh, I knew I was supposed to I wanted to try if we could make, work something out. So we spent about two years apart. So our entire relationship was essentially at a distance, which is, you know, prior to cell phones and all those kind of things. It's, you know, it's, it's handwritten letters. That's pre-email. And, yeah. 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 Pre-email, handwritten letters and phones on cords. Right. Yep. And so, uh, and, 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 and phone bills for all those calls. <laughs> That's right. So, so eventually I felt like I was supposed to move up to Pennsylvania to, um, to, 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 to stake my claim, so to speak, uh, at least to give it a shot. And um, I came up here, and within a year or so, we got engaged, and and then we were married in 1984. Well, there you go. What a not a great testimony for you know all those people who are trying to discourage their kids from missionary dating, but <laughs> but a great well, testimony. If you're willing to spend, I tell people if you're willing to spend two years apart. Yeah, that's true. While you're that's doing true. it, and only talk once a week, and 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 write letters then go for it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, also like you, I don't, I don't, you didn't go into this detail, but you didn't, it sounded like you didn't start dating until after you had actually 
become a believer anyway, although you were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, yeah, I was, we were, I think I was certainly interested. I didn't have a discerning idea between attraction and fellowship. Obviously mm-hmm. I was attracted to her. Um, she had to introduce that to me. Um, but it was clear that early on after I became, became a Christian, she was interested in me too. And so part of it was just figuring out how to do this, how yeah. to, you know, and, and I knew that I wasn't ready at that time to have a relationship. So mm. God was very kind to keep us separate. Actually. Yeah. Well, but, but the flip side of what I was going to say about the, is that it was a great testimony of just light, how our lives can and should, uh, should, I guess, and can, yeah. be an example of and what draws people to Christ like they people mm-hmm. the unbelieving world should look at believers and see something different and if the Lord's drawing yeah. them something that's attractive um, yeah. for sure so that's that's great uh, and I, and I learned early very early on in that experience formatively is the necessity for for a church not just a mm. fellowship um, we got involved in a church and so I I developed a real strong uh, desire for the church very early on. So I was, I was actually blessed to not sort of be dependent on individuals for spiritual growth, but to be involved in a church where a whole community was helping me grow. All right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good challenge. Good word. Um, so you graduate with, in your words, a worthless degree, you go home for a couple of years, then move up. How do you get from there to, being on staff at a church, like walk us yeah. through that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a lot of crazy jobs. I mean, not great, dumb jobs. I, I worked at, I, I graduated from college with a, with a bachelor's degree and went to work at stock, stock room at a, uh, a department store. Cause the only thing that people would hire me. Uh, I went from there. I, I, I got a paralegal certificate, uh, did some work in paralegal stuff. Um, moved up to up here to uh, Pennsylvania and, um, uh, worked with a painter, painted houses for a while, trying to figure it out. Ended up through a, some odd circumstances getting a position in a ministry to international students in Philadelphia. So, uh, so we we got married. We actually lived in a house with about fourteen other people uh, from all over the world um, in a in an evangelism discipleship context. So that was our that was our initial year and a half. And but I I began to realize. In that, I was involved in a in a in ministry, and I was in my call. I don't know if I'm called. I'm in ministry. Maybe I yeah. am called. I don't know it. And uh, but I, I started to realize that that I was in a ministry that couldn't connect me to a church. I was it was it took up all my time in my life, and so I began to realize our marriage wasn't going to be served early on by that. And so I realized I needed to leave the ministry. I needed to find a church. Our church, Covenant Fellowship, was planted about that time. We just got to know it through a, a friend of my wife's uh, at work and visited and felt like this is a great church. Let's get involved. And uh, so I, I, I resigned my position, um, looked for work. Uh, there was a guy who was on the church planning team who had started a real estate business up here, commercial real estate. He needed part-time help. I started working for him, and uh, that turned into eight years in commercial real estate. So I, so I did that. That was my, that was my career. Mm. Um, and through all that time, I really didn't feel called. I was very content to never go into ministry. And in fact, I, I've, uh, I'm one of those guys who, you know, never felt a call sort of responded to, responded to an invitation 
to be a pastor, never felt the call to be a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Lord works in all kinds of ways, brother. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, sometimes the call comes through a phone call. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what happened was they, they, uh, the, the elders there, uh, I was obviously serving in the church in various ways and they, they said, you know, we wonder if you're called or not, you need to pray about it. So I spent about a year and, you know, finally came to the, place because I loved my job. I, I loved and my job gave me an opportunity to serve. It was ideal. I could give and serve and it was flexible. And so hell I thought, you know, you don't want me. I'm actually in a position that you want people to be in. Mm. Um, able to, you know, making money, able to give to the church, able to serve the church, having time flexibility. Um don't waste that by making me a pastor. <laughs> um, but I, I came to the conviction that I that I felt called to govern, mm. uh, not even so much called to ministry, but called to govern. And at the time, they felt like well, if you're going to govern in the church, you need to commit to it full time. And uh, and so that was my that was my call. My call was to elder, not not to pastor. Really, if you come in, I could have done everything I I wanted to do without being an elder, but I couldn't be an elder unless I was really committed to the team. Mm. So. Somewhere along the way, you also got interested in biblical counseling. Tell us how, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah, uh, well, early on, we, we recognized that our, uh, we were a new uh, family of churches. We were a new group of churches, and we were, we were trying to figure out, you know, as a church and as a family of churches, what, what is our philosophy of ministry? We, people coming from a lot of different places, some coming from charismatic worlds, some coming from... Uh, uh, just all different places, and and so our, our our pastors asked me as one of my one of my uh, responsibilities to begin to form a counseling um, philosophy and and practice for our church. And so I started looking around. Fortunately, I'm in you know I'm in the Philadelphia area, and I had a chance to go to a seminar that uh, CCF put on, and John Butler uh, and Paul Tripp, I think, were the first ones I saw. And um, went there, and I thought, this is it. Mm. You know, they were talking biblical counseling, and I thought, yeah. Because the things we've been exposed to quoted the Bible often, um, but didn't seem that biblical. Mm. And certainly didn't seem, seem theologically oriented. They seemed to be oriented to a more of a psychological world. Um, and so what... What, what they were doing at CCF to me was like, yeah, I think we need to track this. We need to follow this. I had been exposed to some other things in a in the biblical counseling world that I I, I began to realize. I don't think that's where we're going to be. Um, so it wasn't like everything in, in the biblical counseling world was I enamored with. But I, I felt like these guys and what they were doing and what they were producing. And so I uh, I uh, we kind of let we kind of jumped in there and uh, being being. Within 45 minutes of CCF in Westminster, we were able to get involved and, and get known and have them come down and teach at our church. And so that's really my exposure is more through uh, a, a job responsibility than through my own kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm a counselor. Yeah, yeah. Or that you received it and were like, man, I want to do this, you know, turn around. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. yeah. Lord brings people through to it a lot of, a lot of different ways. So, yeah. Um, well, tell tell me too what you you mentioned 
Paul Tripp and John Bettler there. Uh, but who else, as, as far as your introduction into biblical counseling, but what other people obviously were influenced by a lot of people. Um, but yeah. if there were a standout handful of people who really influenced you or helped shape yeah. you as the counselor that you are, who would they be? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously David Pallison and, and, and Ed, Ed Welch at that time too, they were very, I just mentioned Paul and, and, uh, and, uh, and John, because they were the first people I actually encountered. But we got to know David Pallison um, fairly well, and uh, I got to know him fairly well. I wouldn't say we were friends, but I, I felt like we were on a first-name basis. And and, um, and Ed, too, who I've continued to have a relationship with. But, uh, but yeah, just the, the, the people there, um, what they were doing. Um, I ended up going, uh, ended up getting my my master's at Westminster in biblical counseling um, later on. Uh, there's a guy named Jeff Black um, who was there, uh, who, who some, of his, some of his stuff I was, you know, particularly relating to dealing with adolescents was very helpful. Um, and the people they point you to, you know, I, I think, I think uh, if anybody's saying, where do you get your training? I say, well, you need to spend time reading John Newton's letters. Mm. Um, that's, if you, you, I don't think you can do, certainly, biblical counseling in a pastoral way um, without and somehow encountering and interacting with how John Newton did it with people. And so, so that's it. Besides that, in, in the biblical counseling world, I was, it was, we didn't have a lot of exposure to things outside of CCF. Because they were so close and they were so oh yeah they're right right down the road. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think it was about those people in particular? Like how did they how did they shape you or what what yeah. um, what stands out to you as their shaping influence? Yeah, well I think there you know several things. Um, I think I think they were very theologically oriented. They 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 thought we don't want to just use the Bible in counseling. We want to we want to we want to engage what people are dealing with and and uh, in, reinterpret it theologically and biblically with a gospel emphasis. And I think that was early on. Um, that certainly was David's heart. We all know that. Um, and so I felt like you could interact with complex issues. Um, you could interact with people who were psychologically uh, oriented um, in a conversational way. I didn't feel like we had to do a lot of, of defensive work. I think we could do engagement and reinterpretation and help people. I think, um, I, I think there was a thoughtfulness. There's a, a thoughtfulness to engagement, um, a uh, that was really appealing to me. I mean, maybe, maybe it's part of my, my 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 own educational background, which is just let me just let's just let's take ideas and let's you know, let's parse them out. But uh, there was a tone. Um, a, you know, a thoughtful, gracious tone in dealing with things they disagreed with. Uh, but I think mostly it was just this sense that that the Bible is sufficient for everything, as long as we don't reduce it down to what verses fit what problems. And so it was more of a. Of, of a large view of the Bible that that informs everything we think and do. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a really helpful way of thinking about it too. Cause I think the caricature is common, you know, take two verses, call me in the morning kind of thing. And obviously certain passages of scripture do address certain issues, but the way in which we conduct ourselves is a broader theological, yeah. biblical understanding of that as well. So, and I'm, and I would, there, there's been, there was only one, I didn't have a lot of exposure. There was only one stream that I felt like was that we actually tried to embrace a bit where it was very much versed a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not, it was not, it was helpful, you know, and it, it made you think and help people. But I felt like we can't build a church on this kind of model. We need to have a model that, but the other thing that, that CCF did well was connecting the preached word um, or, you know, the public proclamation with the interpersonal application with the personal reflection and that sense, we were we we really felt with the uh, the idea that what we preach, we want to counsel, and we want people to be thinking about in in their own private lives, and I think that was really appealing. We didn't have to preach differently than we counseled, or counsel different than we preached. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. I was just reading instruments in the Redeemer's hands again. I'm te- using it for my intro class, and uh, and Paul draws that out really clearly and and all of us who are in biblical counseling understand this it's like we have these churches that really have a high view of scripture want to preach exegetically and stuff but sometimes there's this gap between the public proclaimed ministry of the word and the personal ministry that it somehow is no longer based on the word (laughs) it's like where does that happen how does that happen so uh no very good well i i could get caught up in a whole lot of things. So um, tell us, uh, what's one of the hardest things you faced in counseling ministry? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, again, uh, in the B, in the BCC, Biblical Counseling Coalition, I, I find that one place I feel a little bit different at times, not from everybody, but more in the minority, is that I'm I primarily approach the task as a pastor, mm-hmm. not, not as a counselor, and and uh, and or even as a counseling pastor. I, it's not. I'm not a counseling pastor. I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor who we don't have a counseling pastor. All our pastors do counseling, and so um, and because I've been in my church so long, the the greatest heartaches and the greatest joys come from the length of time I've been there. Mm. Um, I've had a chance to see uh, people grow um, from ch- from childhood to uh, to full involvement in ministry. I've had a chance to see people grow. Uh, I married people now who are having grandkids. Um, and watch their watch them raise their kids, watch them live out their lives, and so there's a tremendous joy in that to to see the sanctification process in people's lives play out in the context of community. But I've also seen the tragic, slow motion train wrecks of people who have not always responded to what God's word called them to do. And 
and and feeling unable to do anything about it. And so I don't, it's not so much I have specific, oh, this situation or that, but just, so I have people in my mind yeah. and, I, and, and in my life who are in both places. Um, people who are, who I, I feel like I've had a chance to grow with them and, uh, and, and, and counsel them in that process in various ways. Counsel them, you know, heading toward marriage, counseling them as parents, counseling them as parents of teens. Counseling them now is thinking about empty nesting and those kind of things. And at the same time, I've had a, you know, the hard thing of just feeling like I've done all I can. Mm. I can't, I can't. More talking is not going to be the answer at this point. Yeah. So, you know, that, it, that's my world and that's what's shaped. Uh, so it's the, it's the, and there's a privilege in it, but there's also, you feel it. And I'll feel it, I think, till the day I die. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And there's a there's something good about that, right? We shouldn't see yeah. people train wreck yeah. their lives and not be affected by that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned watching the people who are walking with the Lord is something that gives you joy. And uh, mm-hmm. anything else that really keeps you going and, and encourages you in counseling ministry? Well, I love... There's an evangelistic quality. I love meeting with people who are not believers, um, who have either no connection to Christianity in their past or whatever it is, they ran away from it. Mm. Um, And just start, you know, and the evangelistic uh, component of biblical counseling, I think that's, biblical counseling is, you know, it's, we, we always say, I don't know who said this, but, Biblical counseling is evangelism for uh, the believer, and evangelism is biblical counseling for the unbeliever, right? Mm. And uh, and so it's a seamless sort of a thing. We bring the same message, but to bring it to people who are hearing it for the first time, or who have just who are who have stumbled into the church. I mean, I meet with people regularly who they don't even know what I am. They I, what is a pastor? You know, mm. I'm, I'm 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 constantly helping them understand. No, this is what we do. We care for people, and and that's exciting to me. It's exciting to see people, their their eyes open, their to see to see God's work in their hearts, um, to baptize them, uh, you know. But know you've had a place to play through counseling. In that, starting out with this person wants to meet with you because they've got this issue in their in their home and. Watching them realize, no, I think the issue I came in with is not the issue I'm supposed to deal with. <laughs> I've got a much deeper issue. Yeah. Those are exciting things. Those are exciting things, and that's what that's what keeps me going. Oh, very good. So that's a lot of good encouragement for our audience to to think about and to look for in their own ministries too. But is there one other piece of advice that you think you would just want to pass on to our audience? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I've thought a lot these days, and I might write on it at some point, but I, one of the things I'm trying to do is make sure that as a, as someone who's committed to biblical counseling, I, I don't embrace the content of biblical counseling, but operate in a therapeutic methodology with the idea that meetings and conversation 
is the key to change. And I, I, I'm always trying to remind myself that having people in my office is not ever the key to change. Mm. Getting a conversation with people is not ever the key to change. I'm, I'm part of what God may be doing. I'm not the focus of what God is doing. And my role in my office and my methodology is not that. Um, I think that's more of a therapeutic uh, sort of psychological world mindset that I'm and so I, I keep reminding myself that, and the advice I would say is that people are not fixable. They are changeable, but they're not fixable. There's nothing we can do to fix a problem or fix an issue. And we, we, are, we, we don't care for people if we try. Mm. And so you're just walking alongside somebody as you're trying to help them see what God is doing not be the the terminus of their problem as if my job is to fix what's going on now i think i think uh people who do more formal counseling have certain uh they have certain limitations that help them with that they recognize i've only got a certain amount of time and i'm and i've you know and i've got to work on certain things when you're pastoring you're much more tempted to be a fixer and uh and so i think just Keep it reminding myself I'm, I can't fix anybody, but but people can change and I can be part of that. So that's what I that's my advice. That's my current advice right now. Don't <laughs> fix people. Let them change. <laughs> uh, that's a good word. Good word. Well, Andy, thanks so much for all that you're doing. Thanks for being a part of the BCC Council and thanks for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you, man. It's been great. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.